0: Chapter six of Murder Takes the Veil by Margaret Ann Hubbard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter six. I wish I could believe it, Sister Raymond sighed. I suppose I have mourning of the fatal day jitters, but she spread her hands helplessly. This, at last, was the day of the mustard seed presentation, and she had no more faith in it than than Tolvotson.' "'But it's true, sister,' cried Helen Perry, and Narissa Braddy added gaily. "'It always happens. A bad dress rehearsal means a good performance. You'll see, sister. Honestly, we'll just act our hearts out tonight." "'Well,' sister turned her head in order to see from end to end of the stage where they stood." Trillium, in the narrow corridor leading from stage to dressing-room, halted abruptly when she heard the next voice. "'I believe them, sister,' said Toboltson. And Trillium knew he was standing with a brush, poised, because he spoke musingly, as if his thoughts were only half on his words. If they had given their best yesterday at the dress rehearsal, they would be too assured to-night. They would see no necessity for trying harder. But knowing they didn't do well, they will be alert. They will use their minds as well as their voices. Perfection does not invite improvement, but imperfection puts one on guard. So— The sister and the girls laughed, and Trillium heard Toboltson's voice again. "'But I'm not joking. See, if my work had been perfect before, I'd never have thought of strengthening the shadows. But I lower the tone of the purple, and the white becomes more brilliant, although I have not touched it. Marvelous!' Light voices answered. Trillium glanced into the dressing room. No one was there. She went in and closed the door behind her. "'This will be the time to write her note.' then she would have ample opportunity to deliver it. Seating herself at the built-in make-up shelf that ran the circumference of the room, she took a small envelope and paper from her cardigan pocket and wrote hastily, Dear Mother Theodore, please forgive me for going away. There is nothing else I can do. I have money enough, and I can take care of myself. I cannot explain because— She stopped. Caution overcame her, and she sat chewing the end of her pencil— she should not have put in that last word, since she dared not set down what ought to follow. The voices on the stage were growing louder. Trillium would not much longer be alone. Quickly she erased, because, and put a period after explain. Then she added, It is nothing that has happened at the convent. Please don't worry about me. With love, Trillium. She had just written Mother's name on the envelope when the door flew open, A crowd of girls entered and began polishing the square mirrors, laying out makeup and talking in a dozen assorted keys. Sister Raymond, Trillium saw, was quietly inspecting the costumes on the rack. All were in order. Even Sister Gaspar could not have told that one bore a new width of chiffon. You haven't anything laid out, Trill, Helen exclaimed, pushing her own kit onto Trillium's section, while she covered hers with a clean towel. I know, but I'm going to do it right now, Trillium said. She licked the flap of her little envelope and tucked it into one of the deep pockets of her sweater. Then she took off the sweater, hung it over the back of her chair, and began to sort her makeup. Oh, darn, I forgot my towels for tonight, Helen complained. Use mine, Trillium offered. No, sister says we each have to have our own. Sanitary, or something. Come on to the linen room with me why take your sweater you don't need it trillium hesitated hardly a fraction of a second no one would touch the sweater and she didn't need it she had wanted to mass this morning but the early chill of the buildings was gone the auditorium and the adjoining dressing rooms were in the centre wing and at the leisurely pace trillium and helen set, it was a long stroll to the linen room clear to the end of the west wing on the main floor then down the stairs and into the tunnel, which bore away toward the contemplative's house. A tunnel lay under each of the cloister walks, forming an underground square connecting the comet buildings, as the walks did above ground. This place is a regular fort, Trillium whispered. It makes me feel spooky. Where's the light, Trill? Finding the switch, Trillium said, Well, wasn't it a fort in the early days? Indians and things? That's what I've always heard. Everybody used to pile down here when the Indians went on the warpath. Think how Comanche would sound under this vaulted ceiling. Woo! A long woo-woo echoed her shrill cry. For goodness sake, come on! Helen demanded, and she dragged Trillium into one of the small rooms under the main building. Here the first sisters had lived, but now the rooms were used for storage and laundry. Grabbing towels, Helen sped to the stairs. Time was of no consequence today. Mother had dismissed all classes in order that the girls would be rested and fresh for the night's performance, and Trillium and Helen stepped out into the cool shade by the west door. They dallied so long that the crowd in the dressing room finished their undertakings and struggled away. Trillium's sweater fell on the floor. Someone picked it up by the tail, and the note fell out, but the girl didn't notice. A hurrying foot kicked the small envelope far to one side— when the sweater hung again over the back of Trillium's chair, the note lay across the room. There was no reason, then, to connect the sweater with the note, when another girl spied the envelope on the floor. "'Who lost this, kids?' she asked, waving it. But no one claimed it, and she passed it to Sister Raymond. "'Mother Theodore's name is on it,' Sister said. "'I'll leave it with her mail when I go by the office.' So the note went away in Sister Raymond's pocket." When Trillium and Helen came back to the dressing room, everyone had left. From the high windows, the light fell on all the neat makeup arrangements, and upon Trillium's sweater, brilliant green. She took it, and with it swinging over her shoulder, went with Helen to the dining room. It was not until after lunch that Trillium felt again in the sweater pocket. The note was not there. She had made a mistake, felt in the wrong pocket. But the other was empty also. Frantically, she searched again but the sweater had only two pockets, and both were empty. "'Lose something, Trill?' asked Mary Elizabeth across the table. "'I—no—just my hanky.' "'You look awfully worried for just a hanky.' Trillian was too panicky to dissemble now. She dipped under the table, but there was no small white envelope. Excusing herself, she left the other girls staring after her. She was not acting naturally now but she couldn't help it. I shouldn't have written the note so soon, she thought wildly, running along the old corridors. I should have waited. I needn't have written it at all. If someone had picked it up and read it, that person would wonder if Trillium had gone crazy. But St. Aurelian's personnel was too well-mannered to tear open a note addressed to another. Of course no one has opened it, Trillium panted and forced herself to walk. But suppose the note was already in Mother Theodore's hands. Suppose she sat in her office this very minute, reading the bungling excuse of a girl who intended to run away. Without thinking of what she could say to Mother to undo the damage to her plan, Trillium ran until she reached the office door. The door of the inner office was open, showing a neat, empty interior, and on the mail table most of the letters from the morning post still lay. Hastily the girls scattered the pile sorted for Mother Theodore. Bills, personal letters, advertisements, but no small white envelope without a postmark. The other letters on the table were for Torvaldsson, Archer, and Eric. The girls and sisters had already taken theirs. Relief made Trillium giddy, and she leaned against the table, stacking Mother's letters again neatly. Mother would not have picked up the least important looking of the lot and carried it away without taking the rest. So she had not read that scrawled little message. That was the inevitable, comforting conclusion. Trillium's forehead was damp, but she laughed as she topped Mother's heap with a violent pink envelope, bearing almost illegible writing in green ink. No wonder Narissa Braddy was flighty, with a mother like that. Trillium could think about something as inconsequential as Narissa's mother's stationery, because now her fright was over and she would run down to the dressing room and find the envelope somewhere on the floor. That was where it would be, since no one had delivered it. When she came into the dressing room, however, she saw immediately that she was wrong. The floor must have been swept during the lunch hour, for she distinctly remembered a cloud of sawdust in one corner, where something had been unpacked. And Randy would have done the sweeping, Randy drooping through the halls with her curly white mop. So certain was Trillium this time. That when she found Rendy plodding along outside the visitors' parlor, she began without preamble, Give it to me, Rendy, please. The African brown face showed no surprise. Give you all what, Miss Trillium? The note. You found it. When the girl shook her head, Trillium cried out in a frenzy, I know you did. Don't lie. A plain envelope addressed to Mother Theodore. I lost it out of my sweater pocket. "'Rindy's head dropped, and her lips bulged in a pout. "'I didn't find no envelope. I ain't seen nothin' like that. "'But you swept the dressing-room, didn't you?' "'That where you lose it? Yes, am Sawdust all over. "'But I didn't see no letter. No, ma'am.' "'Trillium tried to fight down her alarm. "'Of course Rindy had found the note. "'She was just waiting to be bribed, a business transaction, "'like her acceptance of Helen's red bandana.' in exchange for services and mailing notes to Howard Cooper. "'Listen, Rendy,' Trillian began confidentially. "'Listen, you see my new scarf, the aqua with the yellow roses? I'll give it to you if you'll tell me.' When Rendy shook her head, Trillian wanted to slap her, but she dropped her voice coaxingly. "'Then my anklets that match the scarf, I'll give you those too, Rendy. You see, if I knew the note had been delivered to Mother already, I wouldn't mind a bit.' I'd just ask her about it, and she'd tell me. Did you meet her in the hall and give it to her? I ain't seen your note, Rindy insisted, and although her eyes remained on the mop, she was shoving aimlessly. Trillium believed her. Rindy had been a last hope. Where shall I turn now? The girl's benumbed brain demanded. Her despair must have touched Rindy, for the maid added, Must be something powerful important, Miss Trillium. You all looks like somebody's walking on your grave. Trillium shuddered. Cover up, her caution warned her. No, Rendy, it's not very important. But if you should find this little plain white envelope with mother's name on it, you'll bring it straight to me, won't you? I'll keep my eyes poppin', honey. Trillium left her, and Rendy went on with her everlasting mop pushing. The floors were of beautiful wide cypress boards, polished and waxed until they shone and they were Rindy's pride. She pressed the soft mop tight against the door to get every particle of dust, slipping it into the recess which accommodated the door to the visitor's parlor. The door was standing slightly ajar, and yet the pressure of the mop did not push it farther open. Must be something behind it. Maybe the rug curled up, Rindy decided. The parlor was a concern only on Thursdays, and she went on by. Sister Raymond, entering Mother's office, met Rindy outside the door and spoke to her. Sister had not until this moment thought of delivering the note she had picked up. She took it from her pocket and laid it with Mother's other letters, remarking to herself that in Brady's mother must be undergoing another period of concern for her only daughter. No one else used such raucous pink stationery in green ink. And Sister hurried away, and Rindy went on with her work, She was at the far west end of the hall, going steadily on, when the door of the visitor's parlor opened, and someone came quickly out and crossed to the office. Mother Theodore, coming in, just before prayers, glanced at her letters, saw the pink envelope, and sighed. She did not know, of course, that there had been a white envelope on top of the pink. There was none then. Trillium ran to her room, but there was nowhere she could go to escape from her terror, no use now regretting that she had written the message. It was done, and it was possible, more than probable, that the letter was mislaid, stuck off under a cupboard, kicked under a Davenport, lying in a wastebasket. For a freakish instant she considered tearing through all the wastebaskets in the building through the cloister, then over into the contemplative's house with a blizzard of paper flying behind her, and the sisters would look up with that other world peace and see her like a witch without a broomstick throwing herself on the bed, she fought off hysteria. There was no danger, really. Whoever Jim was, he could not be in the convent building, where she had been this morning, in the dressing room. But Tolfutson was on the stage, not fifty feet away. Trillium jumped up, pulling the chair over to the door, as she had done before, and wedging it under the knob. I'll stay here, right here, she planned desperately, and then I'll go with Helen and Mary Liz down to supper, and to the dressing room. During the performance I'll be either on stage or in the wings, always with a crowd, and afterward, when the otters would be sliding down to the gates, she could get away. It should be infinitely easier than what she had done yesterday, to get rid of her coat, and once away she could breathe again. She would be safe. The only possible obstacle now was that someone still might find the note and give it to Mother, but there was nothing to be gained in speculating about that, and Trillium sat down to wait. Below, in the cloister wing, old sister Atine had just put on her new habit and a clean coif. It was very early to preparing for the evening's excitement, but she knew the Lord would not mind her expanding to its full this harmless little glow of pleasure. The Lord was very good to her. He had almost taken away her sight, but that was only so that she might look inward the better. She had no complaint. Her age and her partial blindness had actually brought her a deep contentment she had never known when she was young and busy. And now she was ready, and she had nothing to do until vespers. They were having vespers early, and added little delight to upset the routine, but there was still plenty of time for a visit to Tom and Banty. Moving carefully, she left the cloister and went out along the walk. Getting a pan of sour milk from the dairy, Sister Routine carried it into the barnyard. She never stumbled carrying the milk. She knew the way too well and she could see a little. She could see Tom fanning his tail and drooping his wings like a veteran gobbler, his royal head violet as he strutted before her, and Banty, the tiny chicken, jumping toward the pan of milk even before she set it down. Tom always had been a pig about sour milk. Not only would he plunge his face into it, but he had to stand in the pan while Banty drank around him, and none of Sister Tine's scoldings made any improvement in him squatted down beside them, stroking their firm backs. The old sister was in a daze of happiness. She didn't notice that Tom, on his frequent trips out of the milk pan, planted his large feet on the skirt of her habit, where it lay around her on the ground. In the fall sunshine, the trio made a picture most pleasing to the two men strolling beside the bayou. "'Speaking of rural atmosphere, Chris, look,' said Franz Eric, "'put the famous Archer sarcasm to work on that if you can.' "'I don't know the meaning of the word,' returned Crispin. "'I'm in a mellow mood. "'I feel benevolent and kindly. "'Let's mosey over.' "'When Sister Etienne heard the strange footsteps and arose, "'they saw that the whole side of the habit was splashed with milk. Franz immediately understood. "'Neatness was a part of a sister's godliness. "'He was so sorry for her that for a moment he couldn't speak, "'and Crispin made the first remark. "'I've seen you often here, Sister,' But I hesitate to intrude. I'm Crispin Archer. The sister smiled. Of course, sir. I know your voice, and I can still distinguish faces a little. It was such a pleasure for me to be in the assembly when you were all presented. And Mr Eric is with you? Good afternoon, sir. Franz murmured, Good afternoon, sister, as he used to do in school. Tom drooped his wings and gobbled, and they all laughed. Tom is not used to gentlemen, said sister. My little Banty raised him from an egg. She and I have spoiled him. She stooped, putting out her hand to the hen, and her eyes fell directly on the sloped folds of her skirt. Not trusting her sight, she felt the wet, white patches, her fingers swift. When she straightened, her cheeks were pink. I'm afraid there is no end to Tom's bad manners. You can sponge it out, sister, Franz said quickly so quickly that she knew he had noticed, and been thinking out a solution. Hang it in your drying yard over there, and nobody will ever know the difference. You won't mind a little dampness, will you? His eyes traveled over the cloister. Tobolson had come from somewhere, and stood busy with a pencil and a sketch pad at the far west end of the lawn. Sister Atine was quite flustered. How kind the gentlemen were, taking such an interest in an untidy old nun. She stammered an apology, excused herself, and departed with what haste she could. Tom's bad behavior was well worth while since it had resulted in such a nice little conversation. Back in the cloister, she took off the habit, put on a plain black gown like a long sleeved apron, and carried the habit into the sister's laundry. It didn't take long to sponge the soiled places, although she did a good deal more than necessary just to make sure. She couldn't sit through the play smelling a sour milk. When she hung it in the drying yard, which was screened by a vine-covered fence, she liked the idea of having a freshly aired habit. If the evening happened to be cool, she would take her shawl to wear when she stood outside, listening to the conversation of the departing people. And then it seemed proper to air the shawl also, as she brought it out and hung it on the line with the habit. Old Sister Reteen was very tired by that time. She would lie down, she planned, for a few minutes before vespers. If the good habit wasn't dry, she could put on her old one, the one that had almost disintegrated before it was her turn for a new one. The moment her head touched the pillow, the old sister was sound asleep. It was dark black in her room when Sister Reteen awoke. A minute went by before she realized she had slept through vespers and supper. Horrified, she started up. The play would begin. In a rush she remembered the habit and shawl on the line, and everything fell into place. She went out into the lighted hall and threw open the door to the drying yard. At this distance the lines appeared to be empty. She stepped out, feeling her way in the darkness that was her own in the night's. Funny, she thought she had hung the habit on the first line, but that was empty. The second also, and the third and fourth. Sister Teen couldn't believe her own discovery. The habit couldn't be gone. She slid her fingers along the lines for the third time before it occurred to her that someone must have brought it in out of the evening damp. Her name was in it. Whoever had taken the habit off the line had put it in her room. The old sister trotted back to her small chamber. Even her dim sight told her that the habit was not there, not in the closet, not on the bed. What had become of it, has SHE NOT PUT IT ON THE LINE? BUT SHE HAD. SHE COULD REMEMBER. SITTING ON THE SIDE OF HER BED, SHE BEGAN TO CRY. SHE UNDERSTOOD NOW. GOD WAS PUNISHING HER FOR TAKING TOO MUCH PLEASURE IN THE PLAY. THE MUSIC WAS DRIFTING DOWN FROM THE AUDITORIUM, AND THE PLAY WAS BEGINNING. SHE COULD PUT ON THE RAGGED OLD HABIT AND GO, BUT IT SEEMED LIKE A DEFIANCE TO DO IT. PERHAPS IF SHE MISSED THE FIRST ACT, THAT WOULD BE RESTITUTION ENOUGH. She hurried into the old habit, then went down on her knees and prayed earnestly for guidance. End of chapter 6